Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we started, we started a new series that we're calling Be Holy, and that's exactly what we're talking about, God's instruction for us to live holy lives. And we've been using 1 Peter chapter 1 sort of as the, the launch launch verse for this series. Let me read a couple of verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, it says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. That's, that's the call on our lives to live and walk in holiness. Being holy was not just an Old Testament thing. Under the old covenant, they had to walk in holiness. But now that Jesus has come and we live in a time of grace, it's just a free for all and anything goes. That's a New Testament passage. That's the apostle Peter writing that, reminding us of what was said in the Old Testament, that God wants us to walk in, in holiness. And it's important for us to accept that as valid instruction for, for our lives. We live in a time where the modern church, for whatever, for whatever reason, a, a desire to be edgy, cool, accepting, whatever it is, has uh, increased its tolerance for sin. The, uh, different lifestyles, different habits, different ways of, of conducting your relationships, your personal habits, that, that the, the standard of holiness has been lowered considerably. It's just kind of an acceptable thing in the modern church. But we're not supposed to adjust to what's going on in the culture around us. God's standard hasn't changed. He said, be holy. Why? His holiness hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How is it? He is holy. And he says, be holy as I, as I am holy. We talked about that the first week in this series. The part of being holy means distinct, separate. We're not, we're not like our culture. We're not like people uh, around us that don't know the Lord. There should be a difference between a Christian person and a non-Christian person. You know, someone asked me this, this past week, and it was a great question. They said, you know, we're talking about holiness. Well, I know somebody who's in, in living in a sinful lifestyle, and they say, well, we're not under the old covenant anymore. Now we're, you know, God forgives now, so I, I don't need to change how, how I'm living. There's a lot of people that think that way. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not holding men's sins against them. That's what he was doing by sending Jesus, not looking to hold people's sins against them. He was offering forgiveness. But then the next verse says, and now we are ambassadors as though God were pleading through us, be reconciled to God. Right? So if God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and he's already done that, he already sent Jesus, Jesus died and rose again, that, that's done, then why do we need to cry out to people to tell them to be reconciled if God already did the reconciling? Because there's, there's two parts of it. God was making forgiveness available. As far as God is concerned, that part is done. But then there is a response in people's lives, that they repent, that they turn from sin, that they ask to be forgiven, and they receive that forgiveness. It doesn't happen automatically. So yes, we live in a time of grace where God will forgive, but the way that we receive that, it's not a permission just to continue sinning, but repentance is how we engage with the, the grace and the mercy of God. And then last week, we talked about 
the danger of compromise. You know, there are people that live, live lives that are nothing like what they, they plan to live. That things have gone so differently from how they intended. They've arrived in situations. They've created circumstances in their lives. They've done things that they thought they would never do. They've become the kind of person that they never wanted to be. This happens all the time. You know people like this. Or maybe you are somebody like this. That you've done things you thought you would, you would never do. Because people don't set off in life with the desire and the goal, I want, I want to let lust control me so much. What I'm kind of working towards is hopefully I get addicted to pornography and I just kind of become a, a big pervert that's consumed with sexual things. That's kind of the, the goal. That's what People don't think like that, but people end up at that destination. People don't set a goal of, you know, I want jealousy to slowly consume me so that it destroys relationships and people, you know, I can't have uh, an enjoyable relationship. Or I want anger to take over my life. And may, maybe even get into violence. And so I end up bitter and alone because nobody wants to, nobody wants to be close to me. I, I want to get strung out on drugs. I want to have four or five failed marriages. I want to become an abusive alcoholic. That nobody sets that as a desire. This is kind of what I'm really believing. I want to, I'm kind of trying to orient my life. But people end up in those kind of situations and ones like them all the time. All around us, people are living lives that they didn't, they didn't want to become that kind of person. So how do people end up in those situations? How do people end up at destinations where their desire was actually to end up quite differently than how they are and to live a life different than the life they're living? How does that happen? One of the major reasons that happens is through compromise. People, I, no, I would never, I would never go there, but I, I will edge towards it a, a little bit. It's like if I said, I would never, I'll never go to Pittsburgh. I hate Pittsburgh. What a foul city. I'll never, I will never go there. But, I mean, I, I will take a couple of steps north. I mean, that's, that's no big deal. Well, if you continue to think like that and behave that way, you're going to end up the very place you said you don't want to go. Just one little step, one little compromise at, at a time. And it happens in people's lives all the time. We looked last week at the children of Israel, that when God was preparing them to go into the promised land, he said, listen, when, when you guys get in there, it's very important. You've got to drive out the inhabitants completely. He, he repeated himself, insistent. You've got to drive them out, show them no mercy, don't make any deals with them, drive them out completely. He reiterated several times. We read through Deuteronomy chapter seven where he gave them that instruction and they end up going into the promised land. They're driving people out. They're winning victories. But then we read in Judges chapter one where it starts to tell us that they didn't drive the people out completely. They were taking ground, but then they, they didn't drive out the Canaanites. They didn't drive out the Amorites. In fact, in some situations, they let them stick around and allowed them to become their slaves or, or their servants. And by Judges chapter 2, it says that they had turned their heart against God. The very thing he warned would happen. If you don't drive them out completely, you're going to end up turning your heart against me and serving false gods. The very next chapter, after they didn't drive people out completely, it says that they turned against God and began to follow Baal and Ashtoreth. They came under the judgment of God. Now, I don't think the Israelites ever intended to become that kind of person. I don't think they ever said, you know what, this God who's been so good to us, this God who delivered us with a strong hand, brought us through the Red Sea, sustained us in the wilderness, gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. What we would like to do is just turn against him and get him really angry with us. We'd like to start serving, instead of him, start serving these little dolls and these idols and things like that. That was never their intention. How did they end up there? 
Compromise, just one little step, not doing exactly what God told them to do. Let, drive them out. Well, we've pretty much driven them out, but we'll, we'll let a few of these guys hang around. I mean, they're kind of nice to have around. They said they'll be our servants and it, it'll, it'll be nice. That's the same thing that happens in people's life with sin. They, they end up places they never thought they would be. I never, I never want to be a drunkard. I never want to be an addict. It's, it's small little compromises and, and bending God's word to suit our desires instead of just doing what he instructs us, what he instructs us to do. So I want to take some time this morning. And if, if compromise and sin leads us places we never wanted to be, well, then how do we get to where the destiny and the destination that we do want to have? How do we find fulfillment and peace and joy? If sin and compromise leads to destruction and heartache, how do we get to where God wants us to be? And the answer is holiness. Holiness, holiness is not a burden or a yoke. Eh, we're talking about holiness. I guess we've got to start talking about following all the rules. We're misunderstanding holiness. Holiness is freedom. Holiness is fulfillment. Holiness is walking in close fellowship, close fellowship with God. So I, I want to take a few minutes and, and talk along those lines this morning. But would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you for the instruction. Lord, I pray you bless us with eyes to see and ears to hear. A spirit of revelation and understanding so we can know you more. Hearts that are good soil and bring forth a harvest, a 30, 60, 100 fold what's been sown into our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, turn to Job chapter one. Job chapter one, starting in verse six. It says, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. So God has this conversation with Satan where Satan's been patrolling, looking around. And God asks Satan a question. Have you, have you noticed Job? If we read chapter two, almost the exact same conversation happens where, where God says, have you, you've noticed Job, right? Job is like my guy. Have you noticed the way that he's living his life? Some of you know that I am a, uh, an aspiring beekeeper. I'm an amateur, a novice beekeeper. Uh, I've had a couple hives last year that didn't make it. They rest in peace. Uh, bees are no longer, no longer with us. So last weekend, I got three new beehives. I bought them from Pete. He's my, my beekeeper mentor, training me in the art of of beekeeping. And so last weekend I got these new hives and Sunday night we had our small group over at our house. And so we're hanging out 
and it was cold and rainy and, and starting to get dark. And as I was talking to people in my small group, in the back of my mind, I, I kept trying to figure out a way to bring up going outside and looking at my beehives. I, I, I was excited about it. You know, I just got these new beehives. It's something I'm into. And, they, they, you know, I, I was excited about them. So I wanted people, I, I knew that nobody wants to go out in the cold rain and dark to look at my beehives. But that's, that's what I was thinking. How can I work this into the conversation? Talking to different people. I wonder how likely he is to go outside and, and look, at, look at my bees. Why do I want people to go out and just look at my, my beehives? Because I'm excited about it. They, they, they bring me pleasure. I, I, I like them. So I want other people, other people to see them. A couple of weeks ago, I was cutting some brush and stuff in our, our backyard, and I found some stones, so I gathered them together, and I made a little, a little fire ring. I like to have fires and sit outside around that at night in the summertime, so I'm getting excited about that. It's, it's nothing impressive. We put a few little lawn chairs around at the back of our yard. It, it, it's really you know, not much to look at. But I was excited about it. So I went inside. I told Beth, hey, you got to come outside. Look, look, what I, look what I did. So she was a very gracious wife and came out like I'm a, I'm a child. Good job. You, you stack some rocks. Very, very, very nice. But why did I want her to come out and look at that? Because it, it was pleasing to me. It brought me pleasure. I was excited about it. So I wanted, her, I wanted her to see it. You probably have some things that when you're excited about it, you want people to see them. Hey, can you, I, I got a new outfit. Can I try it on for you? Did you see my new car or my new piece of furniture? Different things that when you are excited about it, you want to draw people's attention to it. You want to you show it off because it pleases you. It's a large part of social media is all about. You want to put a picture of something you got or something you ate or somewhere you were that you're excited about. You want other people to see it because it was pleasing to you. And something similar is going on in this passage that God keeps pointing out Job and asking the question, hey, have you, have you, seen, have you seen Job? He's like the best guy on, on, the entire, on the entire earth. Now, what was it about Job that was so pleasing to God that he kept wanting to draw attention? It wasn't the way that Job looked. It wasn't how talented Job was, how gifted he was. What was it? Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. What caused God to point Job out and be so excited, he was pleased with Job because Job was choosing to live in a way that honored God. He was walking in holiness. And as he walked in holiness, it brought God pleasure. It, made, it brought a smile to God's face. And when we work to please God, you know what another name for that is? Worship. When we do things, just to, God, I want to honor you. I want to, I want to please you. So singing songs and go, having music and doing the verse and the chorus, that, that's good. We should do that. We, we do that. But that's not the full extent of worship. Worship is a way that we live, choices that we make, that in my relationships, and the way I handle my money, in my thought life, in what I say or don't say, all of that potentially is worship. When I choose to walk in holiness, that we can be like Job and, and bring a smile to God's face. That he's saying, have you, have you seen my guy, Luke? Have you seen the way that he's, that he's living his life? Have you, seen, have you seen my girl, Sarah? Have you seen how amazing she is? Look at the, the choices she's making. That he gets, he gets excited about it because we're living living in a way that pleases him. It's worship. Our lifestyle can be worship when it is pleasing to God. Would you agree with that? That if I'm pleasing God with the way I live, it's worship. You know, we were discussing this passage as a family this past week. And so I brought up the question as we're talking about it. Why do you think 
people decide not to live holy lives? Why, why do you think it's so hard for people? They refuse to do it. And so we talked about that for a little while. And we came to the conclusion that ultimately it's selfishness. People are just selfish. They don't want to obey God because they want to do what they, they want to do. Whatever it is, you can boil it down. It's, it's about them. It's about what, what they want. So people want to please themselves. But if, if living to please God is worshiping God, then when I live to please me, what am I doing? I'm, I'm worshiping myself. So it's even bigger than just the, the behavior or the thing that I'm doing or the pleasure I'm choosing to partake in. That's part of it. But it also, also, it's essentially idolatry as I'm worshiping a false God. Instead of living in a way to please him, I'm choosing to please me. But Job didn't do that. Job said he's blameless. He's a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. That part of honoring God, part of walking in holiness is a mindset, a heart, not to see how close to evil and sin I can get. He said, Job stays away from evil. Fearing God is linked with choosing to stay away from evil. Earlier this year, my wife and I had an opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon. We'd never been to the Grand Canyon before. We got to go there for the first time. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but it, it, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's just this enormous hole. It's a, it's, a giant, it's a giant canyon. Whoever named it was about as creative as we were in naming this series. Uh, it's a series about holiness and being it. It's, called, it's, a, it's a canyon. It's a, it's a canyon, and it's huge. It's grand. We'll call it the grand. It, it is what it is. It's, it's the grand canyon. So we got to go there and see it. I mean, just it's, it's beautiful. It's amazing. And then when we left, for whatever reason, it's a little bit morbid, but I was listening to podcasts about people who have died at the Grand Canyon. It's interesting, because lots and lots of people have died at the Grand Canyon. So I listen to a podcast where they, they tell different stories about ways that, that people have died. And most, if not all, were people that were, were messing around on the edge that they were either showing off and jumping from rock to rock or taking a picture and trying to get as close as they could and they took one step too far or people trying to be funny and their joke went terribly wrong and they were, they were just too close to the edge. All the people that died were people that were right on the edge. Do you know that no one has ever fallen into the Grand Canyon while they were in the state of West Virginia? No, no, they haven't ever. It's never happened. Nobody while in West Virginia has ever fallen into the Grand Canyon because, because they're too far away from it, because they put themselves in a situation where it's not, even, it's not even possible. Even if they stumble and fall, you can stumble and fall a good ways and you're not going to fall in, into, the, into the Grand Canyon. There's a mindset that a lot of people have when it comes to sin. That how, how close can I get? What things can I do? Where, where can I push the envelope? God, where is the line where it, it becomes sin? That is a dangerous mindset to have. How close to the edge can, can I get? Job didn't have that mindset. What was pleasing to God about Job, it says he stayed far away. I'm not interested in going to the edge. I want, God, how far away from evil can I get instead of how close to evil can I get? Well, what if my wife came to me and she said, honey, I've been thinking, I, I, know, I know we don't cheat on each other. I know I can't, I, I, I'd never sleep with another man. I know that's off the table. That's just too far. 
but would you tell me what all I can do with another man? Like what, I mean, what, what all is it? I know sex, no way, no way, absolutely not. I'm on the same page with you. But am I allowed to go out to dinner with other men? Can I, can I go to the movies? Like, can I like date? Can I like, just, just like kisses on the cheek? Is that okay? I mean, holding hands is no big deal, right? But can, can I hold hands with other men? Would that be acceptable? Now, if she were to say that to me, what do you think my response would be? Do you think I would say, that is so thoughtful. I mean, that, that you're even considering that you want to know, you're, you don't want to cross that line. That is so sweet. That, that's you're just so thoughtful. That, that wouldn't be pleasing to me, right? Just, e- even with no behavior being committed, just that, that way of thinking, that kind of heart would be so hurtful to me. What, why would you even ask that question? Why are you even thinking about what all can I do with other men? What kind of question is that? Do you know how bad that would hurt me? Just with, with not having done anything, just thinking that way would be so damaging to our relationship. But a lot of people, when it comes to sin, feel like they're maybe even pleasing God by thinking, God, I don't want to go too far. What, what all can I do? What, what can, how close to the edge can I get? It, that's a heart that is damaging. It's a heart that is hurtful towards the Lord. He wants people that say, God, the opposite of that. God, how close to you can I get? How far from evil? So in that scenario with my wife, that wouldn't be pleasing to me. What would be pleasing is that she's asking the opposite. Luke, what all can I do with you? If you want to write that down. Her mom and dad were in the last service, so I pulled that joke. (laughs) So when we stay far away from evil, it's pleasing, it's pleasing to God. Have you seen my servant Job? I want to live a life that it brings God pleasure. The way that I honor him in my choices, that's what you want to do as well. You want want to be pleasing to God. And one of the ways we do that is by choosing to walk in holiness, blameless, men and women of integrity. We fear God. We honor him. We stay far. We stay far away from evil. And it, it brings God pleasure. Now, walking in holiness pleases God. But one of the things we sometimes miss when we talk about holiness is that What God wants is what's best for us. So yes, if I'm holy, it pleases him, but why does it please God? Why does it please God for you and I to walk in holiness? Because he he is loving. He is love. God is love. He is a good father. He is a loving father. So he wants what is best for you. Have you ever wondered why in the world is it so important to God that I follow these rules? Why is it important that I live in line with his instruction? What difference does it, does it make to him? Because it's, it's not all about him. It, essentially, it's because he loves you and he knows what is best for you. And he's giving us instruction. Do you, do you know the Bible says that his word is life? God's word is life. Jesus said, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 47 says, these instructions are not empty words. What are they? They are your 
life. God is the source of life. All life comes from God. Read the first couple chapters of Genesis. There was no life outside of God until God began to speak. He spoke things into existence. His word is life. In John chapter one, talking about the word, it says that the word gave life to everything that was created, right? So God's, God's word is life. The Bible also describes itself as light. First John chapter one, verse seven says, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we're living in the light, then we have fellowship. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So if God's word is life and God's word is light, and start to understand why it's so important to him that we live in his word. We're going to turn the lights off here for just a second. Just try an, an illustration. So let's think of it like this. If this light represents the word of God and this light is, it, it's life. So when I'm in, in this light, I'm, this is where life is, right? Because his word is life. Now the, 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 Maybe the main deception of the enemy is he tells people that sin is not destructive. In fact, he'll convince people that if I can get outside of this light, that that's actually where pleasure is. That's actually where joy is. But if his word is life, then when I step out of it, what am I stepping into? I'm stepping into death, which is exactly what the Bible says, that the wages of sin is death. So God doesn't give us his word and his instruction just because he, he's a control freak and he's, he's got lots of rules and regulations. His word is life. The reason he wants you to live inside of the confines of his word is because that's where there is life and he wants you to live. He wants you to have abundant life. But when I start to allow the enemy to deceive me and I start moving out of the light of his word, out of the life of his word, I'm not moving into pleasure. I'm moving into death and destruction and despair. His, his word is life. And so when, when I live in that, that's where I'm able to be who God's called me to be. I enjoy fellowship with him. And anything outside of that, it's not just breaking a rule. I'm, I'm leaving the provision of life. You can turn, turn those lights on before I kill myself walking off the stage. So, so the, the enemy's lie, again, is that the result of sin is some kind of enjoyment. And whether you would admit it or not, most Christians, at least in some area, allow themselves to believe that lie. There's been some area in your life where you're tempted to sin, and what you believe is that if I do that, the result, the, the end fruit of me engaging in that behavior is some kind of joy, some kind of pleasure. I'm denying myself something good. No, his word is life. His word is, is peace. His word is joy. He's not trying to keep you from pleasure. He's keeping you from someone who is deceiving you. And if you engage in that, the wages of sin is death. He doesn't want you to suffer death and destruction. He's called us to holiness, not just for his benefit, for your benefit, for my benefit. He wants what is best for us. So the call to holiness isn't a, a yoke of bondage and slavery. It's a call to life and freedom. And that's the way that we've got to perceive it and understand it. Holiness, holiness, it is a blessing to walk in holiness. 
It's not, oh, we're going old-fashioned. I guess we're, you know, we're like two steps away from Amish now. No, that's, not, that's not what, he wants us to have full and abundant lives. But there's no way to live an abundant life and live apart from the word of God. Why? Because his word is life. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter two. Don't believe the lie that sin results in pleasure. It might be temporary pleasure, but the end result is death. James talks about in James chapter one, how people's desires drag them away to sin and then sin results in death. Don't, don't, don't allow your desires to drag you that direction. Your desires aren't pulling you towards something that's pleasing. They're dragging you in the direction of death. And we've got to guard our hearts and be sensible, sober thinking enough, have our minds renewed to the word of God that we see through that deception. God is a good God. He loves you. He wants to bless you. The Bible says no good thing does he withhold from you. There's there's nothing good that God's looking to withhold from you. So if he says not to do something, it's not because he's trying to withhold something good from you. He's trying to protect you from something harmful. As far as good things, they're all, they're all on the table. Anything that's genuinely good, God wants you to have it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 20. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. It says, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver. Some are made of wood and clay. Now, in my house, we're not... We're not very fancy people. We don't have this wide spectrum of utensils that he's talking about in a wealthy home. We don't have gold and silver and wood and clay. We basically have two. We have, uh, we have metal utensils and we have plastic utensils. That's kind of our, our fancy level. That's the spectrum of options that we have. Now we could break it down a little bit further and add a couple of categories. When it comes to the, the metal and the plastic utensils, we also have clean ones, and we have dirty ones. So that's, that's about all of the options. Sometimes when, when I go to get something out of the dishwasher, and maybe it's the way at your house too, I don't know if it's because the dishwasher was overloaded or just having a bad day or just kind of going halfway with things. Have you ever pulled something out of the dishwasher and it's not entirely clean? You pull out a spoon, and on the back of the spoon is half of a macaroni noodle just kind of baked on there. When you see that, you've got a couple of options. One is to set it aside, and the other option, if I'm being honest, option sometimes I choose, just use your thumbnail to scratch that thing off of there and proceed. But when it comes to, to special occasions, you know, if you were coming over to my house, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give you the spoon with a macaroni noodle on the back of it. If I saw that, have you, ever, have you ever had company over and you pull something out of the dishwasher and there's like, you know, the 
prongs of the fork have junk in between it. It's, it's like embarrassing, right? You set that aside quickly, put that aside, and you get out. You want, you want to give your best, right? When you pull out something dirty for a, for a special occasion, what do you do with it? You set it aside. It's, it's disqualified from use for that special occasion. That, that's the analogy that's being used here. If you've ever thought about great men and women of God and some of the amazing things that God has done in people's lives, it's, it's not just luck of the draw. It's not just random. It's not that, that, God, has, that God has favorites. There is a determining factor in who God uses for special, special purposes. And whether you know it or not, you were designed for special purposes. God had, God had great works in store for you when he was forming you in your mother's womb. Nobody was made just to live a common, mediocre life. God has great things for everyone. The difference is some people, according to this verse, keep their lives pure so that they're ready for their master's hand when he's ready to use them. The NIV reads like this, that they will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master. There's a way we qualify ourselves to be used. I want to be used in a special way. You want to be used. The core of who you are, you desire to fulfill the calling on your life. Whatever God was dreaming about when he created you, because there was a dream, a dream God had when he created you. He had this, this dream of what could be done, and he put flesh on it. It was you, and he, he sent you and allowed you to be born. Well, I, I want to fulfill whatever God had in his heart. You want, you want, you have a desire. You were made that way. I want to do what God made me to do. I want my life to be meaningful. I want to have impact. I want to do something special. I don't want to be ordinary. You've got that desire, but the disconnect sometimes is not understanding. You play a part in whether that happens or not by whether you choose to distance yourself from evil, walk in holiness, keep yourself pure so that the master, when he goes to reach for you, it's not like the dirty spoon. He has to set you aside. He'll come back later. Maybe we'll try another time. That's what happens in people's lives. God's, God wants to use you, just whether you've kept yourself pure or not. As you read through the word of God, that, when God used people, that, it wasn't just random. It was people who had prepared themselves. In the book of Daniel, long before Daniel was hanging out with angels and they're shutting the, the mouths of lions, long before he's interpreting the writing on the wall when a hand just showed up and started writing in Babylon, before he was interpreting the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar, he was making decisions about whether he would compromise or not. Let me read to you from Daniel chapter one, verse eight. It says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Now, this is just, this is a small area. This isn't interpreting a dream or going to the lion's den or not. This is, what, what are you going to have for lunch? But even in those small, seemingly unimportant areas where he could have probably justified a compromise, he had deter, he'd already made up his mind. I will not defile myself. I'm not gonna do anything to compromise because someday God's gonna wanna do something special. And I want him to be looking for me. I want him to grab me and use me to do what I was meant to do. We've got to have that mindset. So I want to keep myself pure. And part of that is learning to hate the filth that would corrupt my life and try to disqualify. Satan tempts you not just to show you a good time, but to pull you off course, to get you out of the light, the, the life of the word of God, to disqualify you. So when God's looking to do something special in Harrison County, that he, the devil wants it so that God's got nobody to work with. No, nobody's kept themselves. There's not a utensil fit for the things that he wants to do. We keep ourselves pure. Hate, we've got to hate sin. 
to hate it. For the sake, no, I know that threatens my destiny. I, I know that the only reason that would enter my life is because Satan's trying to pull me off course and keep me from being who God's called me. Holiness isn't a limiter. It sets us free to become what he's called us to be. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at another example of someone who kept himself pure. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, it says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. He, he understood it was in his best interest to walk in holiness. It, it wasn't a, a burden to carry. He was looking ahead to a great, a great reward. Now, Moses lived in Egypt, which e Egypt is known as being an opulent, indulgent, luxurious culture. The time that he was living there, it was one of the greatest civilizations in, in history. You can read about some of the things that they did, the, the treasures that they had the pleasures that they enjoyed. Even their tombs to this day are, are places people are, are breaking into to find treasure and all kinds of, of incredible things. They even died fancy. You can imagine how they, how they lived. And he wasn't just an Egyptian. He was considered royalty, potentially in line to the throne to be a Pharaoh. But he says he refused to even be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I don't, I'm not even, I don't want to be associated. Why? Because he had some understanding. If I go that direction, if I compromise, if I become known as one of them, it's going to disqualify me from being a vessel, a utensil that God uses for the purposes he has for me. Think about the ways that God used Moses. You know the story of Moses. Some of the experiences he got to have to stand before a burning bush and talk to God himself. To be sent back to Pharaoh and get to, to conduct plagues that end up liberating the people of God who'd been in bondage for 400 years. To split the Red Sea so there's a wall of water on each side and lead three million people through on dry ground. Can you imagine how, what an amazing experience? Do you think that any of the treasure or indulgences in Egypt could compete with what he experienced by walking in holiness and saying, I, I don't want the fleeting pleasures of sin. I choose to be known as a servant of God. He got to go up on a mountaintop and spend 40 days talking with God. He carried the presence of God so strong that he was literally radiant. The Bible says he had to put a veil over his face because people said, we, man, we can't even look at you. The presence of God is so strong on you. It's, it's actually hard to look at you. He had those kind of experiences. Do you think he regretted any of the sacrifices he made saying, you know, what? I refuse. I don't want to be known as the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I want to be known as a child of God. I don't want to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I don't I don't want the treasures of Egypt. I want what God has for me. He refused a sinful lifestyle so that he could lay hold of all, all that God had for him. That's the kind of attitude that you and I have to have, to understand sin poses a threat to the wonderful things God wants to do in and through you. That I don't want to be known as an American. I don't want to be known as somebody who's engaged in this culture. I, I don't want to be known just as a West Virginian or an Italian or an Irish person or any of those identities. I don't want to take on the, the identity of being 
uh, someone from Gen X or a millennial or Gen Z. I don't want any of those distinctions. I want the distinction of being a servant of the Most High God, set apart for his purposes. And whatever that costs me, it's fine with me because I know I'm not giving up anything by choosing to serve God. That's the kind of attitude we've got to stir up in our hearts. Like Paul had, I consider it all loss. It's, you can have it all. It's garbage to me. It's dung. It doesn't compare to knowing Jesus and belonging to him and being set apart for his purposes. That's the kind of heart that we've got to develop. The, the, the path to satisfying yourself and finding fulfillment, the, the devil wants to tell you it's sin. That the result of sin is, man, you get to have a good time and indulge. It's a lie. The pathway to get where you want to be is holiness. It's not a restrictor. It brings freedom. It brings fulfillment. Let me read you from Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Starting in verse one, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, now notice this sequence. This kind of sums up everything we've been saying for the past few weeks. It says, in view of God's mercy, he's just taken a lot of time in the previous chapters to talk about all that God has accomplished for us through Jesus. In view of his mercy, in view of all that God has done for us, there's an appropriate response. Here in just a couple of minutes, we're going to share communion together. So we get ready to go into this week leading up to Easter. And Jesus said when we receive communion, we're to do it in remembrance of him. It's, we're, we're in response to his mercy, in response to his goodness, the body of Jesus broken for us, the blood of Jesus shed for us. So we're going to receive communion. In view of his mercy, what are we supposed to do? To offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him, not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed. I want to take some time this morning to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. In view, we'll receive communion. But then in response, Jesus, you laid down your life for me. What's my response? Lord, you can have my life. A living sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? Holy and pleasing to you. Not conforming to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. A distinction. We, we don't blend in with the world around us. We don't conform. We're, we're distinct. Holy and pleasing. Now notice this progression. What God did for us laid his life down. I lay my life down. Holy and pleasing to him. What's the result? That I miss out on fun? That I'm just a, a end up an old prude? Look at the result of choosing to offer myself as a living sacrifice. Then you'll be able to test, to testify. You'll be able to tell people and approve what God's will is. His good, 
pleasing and perfect will. That's what we're after. God, I want to know you. It's good. It's pleasing. Man, this is perfect. This is exact. God made you. He knows what is good, pleasing, and perfect for you. Man, this is exactly the kind of marriage. Lord, this is exactly the kind of work. God, this is exactly what I want to be doing. This is perfect. The way that we end up there, where we all want to be, is not following our own desires. It's not doing what we think best. It's by becoming a living sacrifice. God, here's all that I am. I lay myself down. Jesus said, if you want to find life, don't cling to yours. You, you lay it down. And that's how we find life. So in just a few minutes, I'll give instruction, but we're going to receive communion. And then just take some time, maybe around the altar. Just, Lord, I'm, here I am. I'm a sacrifice. In fact, that's kind of the progression. In just a couple of minutes, I'll invite the ushers to come up. They'll stand up here. A little different way of doing it, but I'll invite you to make your way down these two center aisles to receive communion. And in view of God's mercy, Lord, here's what you did for me. Lord, take my life. I want to be holy. Anything I've compromised, Lord, purify. I'm a living sacrifice. Knowing I'm looking forward to experiencing and walking in his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But before we do that, I want to read one more passage. Today is Palm Sunday. And I want to read from Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. It says, after telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. And as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. That's what they were shouting. Blessings. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the story of when, when Jesus entered Jerusalem. And there was a, an acknowledgement that he's not just a guy. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. They, they were acknowledging, this is the king. This is the Messiah. That's why they're crying out, blessing on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And it says that they were, they were taking off their coats, taking off their garments as Jesus is riding on this donkey into Jerusalem. They're taking off their garments and they're, they're, they're throwing them on the road. They're just throwing them all over. Which is kind of a, a weird thing to do. Just people start taking off their clothes and throwing them in front of Jesus. But you can, you can read what commentators believe was going on. And one thing that was happening is that they believed that people were taking off their garments to decorate, to decorate his path as the king was coming. Like if you're going to have a parade and they, they hang banners and signs and things to make the way beautiful. They were doing the best they could. So as Jesus, as the king was coming through, they would try to make it beautiful with what they had. And they started throwing their garments. But a second thing that was going on is that their garments represented them, that they took off their cloak, took off their jacket, and they, they laid it in front of him, acknowledging they're crying out blessings on the king. 
that their jacket represented them. And they were saying, come over us. Rule over us. Go over us. You, you, you above us, Lord. We lay ourselves before you. It was an acknowledgement. Jesus, you're king. You're Lord. And that means you rule over me. I lay myself down. So as we celebrate Palm Sunday, getting ready for Easter, we want to do that exact same thing, to lay ourselves before the Lord. Lord you, Jesus, you're the king. You're the king. I lay myself before you. Come over me. Rule over me. I lay myself down. I lay down my rights. I lay down lordship. I know no one can have two masters. You're the master. You're the Lord. Come and rule over me. Now, we also know that one week later, these same people, they were saying blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, were then shouting, crucify him, kill him, put him to death. So it's not enough to say it one time. It's not enough to have one moment where I said, Jesus, I lay my life down. It's gotta be daily. It's an ongoing attitude. I'm a constant living sacrifice that I live my life on, on the altar. Paul said, I live dying every day. So surely, surely there's people in this room that we've done, we've done this before. We've said, Lord, I'm yours. Lord, I'm a living sacrifice. It's, it's not just a one-time thing. It's something I acknowledge. I need to acknowledge it today. I need to acknowledge it again tomorrow. I need to acknowledge it the next day. Lord, Lord, I'm a living sacrifice because people are fickle and people can change their minds. It's something I've got to establish and then reestablish and then reestablish when my flesh tries to rise up. No, I, I, I'm a living sacrifice. Jesus is the king. So that's what we'll do in just a moment. Receive communion. You can either receive it at the altar. You can receive it with your family. So receive it on your own, take it back to your seat. Or if you want to take that communion and follow that progression in view of your mercy, in view, I remember all that you've done for me. And in response to that, Lord, I present myself again, a living sacrifice. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.